Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, after the horrors of last week, there's some long overdue good news for the industry. Vindication, celebration, hyperventilation. General insurance commissions will remain under a quality of advice review recommendation. We're not sure whether it's declaration or desperation from the launch of the ICA's climate change roadmap. And there's much exhalation, deliberation and exasperation on a cyber issue that just won't go away. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by senior journalists Benice Han and Miranda Maxwell, deputy editor Wendy Pugh and editor John Deeks. Good morning, John. Hello. Do you feel like the industry is limping towards the end of this year? Oh, well, from a claims handling perspective, maybe. <laughs> Hello, Wendy. Good morning, Andrew. Looks like you've all been busy with the uh, ICA conference. Pretty action-packed, actually. There's a lot lot to write about. Action-packed, right. Hi, Miranda. Good morning. As our insure tech and cyber specialist, you've had a few tech issues this morning, haven't you? Oh, I'm here, old school, 4G, on my phone. <laughs> but, hey, it works. Got to love that. Excellent. And hello, Benice. Hi, Andrew. So after last week's many takes, do you think we'll have any tech gremlins in this podcast today? Oh, for sure. (laughs) Well, on that positive note, Benice, the industry has been worrying about this since the Hain Royal Commission, but it looks like broker commissions are here to stay. That's right. They've been worried about it. And it's a victory of sorts, if we can call it that, for brokers. The pig body has, of course, made a strong case for commissions. And it looks like Michelle Levy, the quality of advice reviewer, has heard their message. Um, so she released her long-awaited conflicted remuneration paper last week. And she basically proposed that commissions should remain exempt from the ban on conflicted remuneration. She acknowledges that the commission model does create a real risk in that the quality of advice provided may not be as good as it would be if a client had paid directly for it. But she says the risk of brokers not giving quality advice has actually been diminished by post-Hain Royal Commission reforms, such as the anti-hawking measure and uh, deferred sales of add-on insurance uh, measure. But it's not all one-way traffic for brokers, though. Um, She has recommended that brokers who provide personal advice to retail clients will actually need to have their written permission to be paid commissions. So that's one thing that has got the uh, has got neighbor a, a bit concerned. So they're waiting for more uh, information about that. And I'll probably let John take over from there. Yep. Well, John, sounds sensible overall and potentially a win, but there's possibly a spanner in the works here? Yes, a little bit. I mean, um, I think overall, yeah, most brokers will be delighted that it, it looks like commissions will be able to stay. Of course, these are proposals at this point, so nothing set in stone at the moment. But uh, yeah, the, the the written consent thing does appear to be a little bit tricky. We've had Neva saying that, you know, clients don't always respond when you ask them to. So what happens if they don't provide this written consent? Are they, are they covered in the meantime? There's a number of issues like that to work through. But overall, yes, I think it's good news. It wasn't so long ago, we were getting the sense that the writing could be on the wall for commissions. And there were a few brokers coming forward and saying, well, actually, fees are better and we're transitioning to fees. But I'd say the majority and certainly NEBA were adamant that commissions were very important for some types of insurance and that if 
commissions were done away with, a lot of people would stop getting advice on insurance altogether because a fee would put them off. So if commissions stay, then that's that's great. In theory, that means that uh, nothing has to change particularly and SMEs can continue to afford to get uh, the advice that they really need from from brokers. The other good thing about uh, the paper is that it really accepts um, the important role that brokers play and the value that they add to the whole process. Well, Wendy, the Insurance Council was kind enough to invite you, not me, along to their conference last week. How was it? Yeah, it was good, actually, uh, Andrew. Um, there was a lot of the, you know, big issues that we're talking about all the time were, were covered at the conference. So there was a, a session on the floods this year and, and Les, Lismore's mayor uh, spoke about their experiences about in building back and, and the insurance challenges. And AFCA's ombudsman, Emma Curtis, uh, spoke about the need for clarity in the policy wordings and the importance of um, almost over-communicating with people during claims handling just to, to better manage all those frictions and frustrations that can just blow up, um, particularly with the delays and supply chain issues and shortages and with this rolling series of catastrophes. So it was a sort of a sense that these disasters have collectively been a, a trigger event that's spurring more action on, on resilience and mitigation. But then the ICA is now being um, more proactive also at, at looking to reduce emissions and to really tackle the uh, climate change impacts that are, that are worsening catastrophes. Uh, so at the conference, they uh, uh, launched a roadmap uh, for insurers to achieve net zero emissions from their own operations by 2030 and from underwriting claims, supply chains and investments by 2050. Well, John, you weren't invited to the ICA either, but you put together a, an analysis piece on the climate change issue. Can you assume that I haven't read it? So, yeah, it struck me that this is quite an important document and a, and a, and a step change from what has come before. Of course, campaigners, climate campaigners have said, as you might expect, this is, you know, of course, the insurance industry should be doing this and they should have done it a long time ago. And actually, it's not enough either. But really, I think you have to accept that it is a major step forward. If you go back a decade or so, the insurance industry locally didn't want to talk about climate change at all. You know, they had a view that they use historical data uh, to price policies and they, they can adjust on an annual basis. So why why would we need to worry about these predictions which may or may not come to pass? Then they did, you know, about 2016, they started to talk more about climate change, but it was very much focused on the mitigation measures that were required to tackle the increasing levels of catastrophes that we were seeing. They didn't want to talk about emissions, you know, no matter how many times we asked, oh, well, you know, if carbon emissions are the cause of these increasing numbers of, of catastrophes, then shouldn't you take a position on that? The answer was no, not really. And that carried on for a number of years. Now, though, they are talking about it and they've got this very clear document about what is expected. And I think that is a really positive step. Well, Benice, you covered the regulators' speeches at the ICA conference and no one fell asleep. In fact, they didn't hold back, did they? Uh, no, they didn't. So um, APRA's Deputy Chair Helen Rowell and her counterpart at ASIC, Karen Chester, 
um, they were more or less on the same page. Um, they agree that the industry needs to do better, uh, fix its pricing failures, uh, policy wording lapses that led to the BI legal saga, basically because of COVID, and also uh, claims handling delays. So um, they did acknowledge that uh, insurers are doing their best, dealing with claims from the floods this year, and also the uh, disasters from the last three years, like the bushfires, storms, etc. We thought we should give a bit more mention to the uh, claims handling delays. So uh, Ms. Chester mentioned in her speech that the industry may have to reconsider its approach, uh, given that severe weather events are becoming more normal, uh, as we have seen in the last three years and this year. So um, the industry has traditionally stepped up, um, putting in more resources to process claims right after a catastrophe, but she's asking if this is still the best way to go. ASIC says it will shortly write to insurance boards to share ASIC's expectations for claims handling as summer approaches, and the regulator is also conducting a review of um, claims handling practices to set a baseline of insurer conduct against their mandatory obligations and compliance with the industry's code of practice. So uh, basically, Ms. Chester said that they are focusing, the regulator is focusing directly on the consumer experience, including identifying um, frictions in claims handling, and they will be uh, sharing the findings by the middle of next year with the industry. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we haven't heard the last of this on claims handling, John. No, that's right. And we've talked about this a lot recently, haven't we? Um, with insurers having to um, tackle 240,000 flood claims, for example, it's causing major issues. Now, yes, we know from the insurer's perspective, there's lots of good reasons why there are delays in the claims process. There's lots of good reasons why communication with customers isn't happening quite as it's meant to. Uh, and everyone can understand that. I think the thing about this ASIC review that Bernice mentions is that ASIC clearly states that they're going to look at it from the consumer's perspective. And the consumer has a very different perspective than the insurer. From what we're hearing, I guess, in terms of delays and communication issues, the findings of that review may not be completely positive. So the industry should probably prepare itself for, for some serious scrutiny on this issue going forward. Well, speaking of scrutiny, AUB is admitted to having some connection to the controversial Adani mine. John, what's happening here? Yes, that's right. So it was AUB's AGM last week and Market Forces, a, a climate campaign group, had got wind of the fact that they had some involvement in the controversial Carmichael coal mine that's up in Queensland. So they put a question at the AGM and and AUB did admit to having some involvement there. Now, they said they're not the main broker and that this is just a small part of their overall business, of course. But yeah, it seems like they do have some involvement, probably with the rail line that transports the coal from the mine to, to the port. AUB wouldn't go into precise details of what they've arranged for the project, but they did defend the decision to work with it. They said that they're were, they were aware how controversial it is and that this was this was discussed by the board before they went into it. But they say, you know, that they are being responsible because they believe that despite the feelings of some people who are against this project and against coal mining in general, it is the responsible thing to do to uh, help ensure this kind of thing. You know, we need coal and gas for the time being, they say. And where do you draw the line when you're insuring 
customers, clients, or your your advising clients who may have some exposure to the coal mine industry, but most of their business is, is in other areas. So it becomes very difficult if you just cut off everyone who has the slightest bit of involvement in the coal mining industry. But it's an interesting debate and it will probably drag on because the Adani mine is highly controversial and these campaign groups have been looking to put the pressure on any insurance company that has any involvement with it. So yeah, I think this one's going to going to run for a bit. Well, woke issues aside, Wendy, there was some positive news at AUB's AGM as well. Yes, uh, they released a new earnings guidance for the financial year, which included both an upgraded view uh, on the performance of their ongoing operations, as well as the expected impact from their acquisition of the uh, UK Lloyd's uh, broker, Tizers. So on Tizers, they completed that transaction at the end of September. So they'll get a nine-month contribution. CEO Mike Emmett says that business has been performing better than they expected when they announced the deal back in May. So they're very buoyant about you know how it's going to perform under under their ownership. Um, and at the same time, AUB says its own September quarter was strongly ahead of its original expectations. So the upshot is that underlying net profit after tax is expected to be up around 45 to 55% um, this year compared to the previous year. Well, woke up, Miranda, it's your turn now. Cyber is the issue that just won't go away. There was a key report out last week that shed some light on the scale of the threat, wasn't there? Yes, another day, another cyber report, isn't it? The latest one is the annual report from the Australian Cyber Security Centre. It gave tons of statistics, if you like, that sort of thing, and it was all about cybercrime in the year to June. So it received over 76,000 reports of cybercrimes. That was up 13%. And it calculates that equates to someone reporting a cybercrime every seven minutes. So, you know, the old joke, man, they're sick of it. The average cost per cybercrime that was reported was $88,000 for medium businesses. Once again, activities such as online banking and online shopping were targeted and business email compromise was another common cause that was particularly targeting high value things like property settlements. The ACSC responded to 135 ransomware incidents as well. And most of the significant incidents it responded to were caused by inadequate patching. It says that's an important area to focus on, to be more cyber resilient. Interestingly, they also said the terms of insurance really do have a big impact on how victims respond and on whether they pay the ransom. And almost as if to prove that point, Medibank came out yesterday and said there's no way it's going to pay the ransom criminals are demanding it pay for its customer data. And notably, Medibank did not have cyber insurance. Interesting. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Bernice Han, Miranda Maxwell, John Deeks and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week. And the ICA, if you're still listening, it's okay. I don't need to be invited to next year's conference.